Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. So, Corey, you watched a PMQs this week. Do you want to give us the rundown? Yes, I got my weekly fix of uh, round one which usually the undercard is round one. But anyway, the main the main event in round one, Bojo versus Keith, and then the undercard with Bojo versus Ian Blackford, your friend as the SNP leader. Um, what is an undercard? An undercard, it's, it's what happens in... Are we really doing this now? Okay, basically, in a boxing fight, you've got a big headline okay, fight. Okay, it's for boxing. Yeah, cool, you've got a big headline fight, and then you've got the, the little fights as a lead-up. They are undercards. It's like the local elections to the general election sort of thing. Yeah, and if you had them all on the same day, basically. Or, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, all right. Anyway, back to PMQs. So, uh, your boy, I, I am, I'm warming to your boy, Keith. I'm warming to him. I really am. No, he I'm did well this week. I'm glad you called him Keith. What is that? I just keep seeing that on Twitter. Keith. Everybody keeps calling him Keith. He's called Keir. Why are people calling him Keith? People are just trolling. It's just trolling. It's Keith. funny, though. It's Keith. really funny. It's well, really funny. Keith is also easier to say, so I'm going to keep calling him Keith. Anyway, Keith was uh, Keith was talking uh, to your boy Boris. Um, he was he stuck on the point this week, used all six questions to double down on the latest round of government sleaze. This week, ah. this week with the texts coming out between the famed head of Dyson, James Dyson and Boris Johnson. Uh, We are going to go into more detail on that later, but just for Mm -hmm. a quick headliner, uh, there was some text leaked this week from last year with uh, with James Dyson messaging the prime minister last year at the height of the COVID pandemic, essentially asking him to um, amend some tax rules for employees that he had coming into the UK at last minute to make ventilators. So your boy Keith, obviously we've had recently when we discussed this, I think on our last show about the texts from ex-Prime Minister David Cameron, where he was lobbying Rishi Sunak to make some special arrangements for the new company he, Cameron, is now or was working at. And now this week, so it's like week after week, we get something Mm -hmm. new, which is hinting at potential, you know, government cronyism, sleaze and underhand behaviour all around. So, um, yeah, so, 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 so your boy Keith was just asking the quiet prime minister things like, you know, how many others have you given preferential treatment? You know, yeah, he he was very spicy. Um, He asked it, his first question was uh, something along the lines of, does the prime minister think it's the right thing to do in response to a text from a billionaire to say, yes, I'll sort the tax rules change. Boom, mic drop. With which <laughs> Boris came back and uh, said, I don't apologise for securing ventilators when we were in our our most neediest of times. And every single answer, every single answer, he kept going back to him, not apolog- the ventilators. So Keith would go on, as I said, he asked him, you know, would you give others preferential treatment? You know, I don't think Dyson actually made any ventilators in the end, did he? I'll come back to that because there's a bit of a okay. twist in that story. Yes. He then went on to say, you know, the steel workers are suffering. If they texted you, would you help them? His next question was, if an NHS nurse texted you, what would be the answer? And then he, he ended it with, nurses get no text. They get a kick in the teeth. We get dodgy PPE, tax breaks for mates. It, this is a government of sleaze. He was spicy this week. 
He was spicy. He was on. He was on the go. He's on the ball. Um, I liked what he did. He kind of he kept with the main point, but then kept giving us different examples of sympathetic workers. So you know, he started talking about steel workers, then nurses. Would you text them back? And every pretty much every single answer was Boris saying, "I don't apologize for." rolling out a campaign to get us the ventilators we needed. He kept going back to the ventilators, even though that wasn't what Starmer was asking him. But as we know by now, anybody who watches PMQs, it isn't really about answering questions. And what I'm noticing as well is that, and this is probably me coming late to the party, it's not even about asking questions either, because Keith isn't there to ask questions and get answers. Keith yeah. is there. Keith is there to make statements that hopefully go viral. And I've said before, if your if your party had a better social media team, I don't know why they wouldn't be making some of these clips go more viral. This but is that's my by point. No, it's not by the by. My that's my point. It's like it's amazing that you're saying that Keith was saying this and Keith was saying that, and he was getting Boris on the points. However, if if you're not your delivery is not punchy enough, if your demeanor is not punchy enough, if people are not interested in you because you your personality is somewhat uninteresting, then it's all irrelevant. I've not seen any of these clips. It sounds amazing. I've not seen anything at all. Where is it? What's going on? Oh no, he, so... he um he yeah he was he was uh, what I noticed as well. What was another um thing? Last point which I noticed uh comparison between the two. Um, he was very he was very jovial, and I noticed this last week too. Starmer, very you know very like very jovial, very. <laughs> I'm smashing this, and I know it, and I want everybody else to know that I know I'm smashing it. But what I also noticed with Johnson, Johnson was very, um, he was visibly offended anytime Starton used the words sleaze or cronyism. And um, later on in PMQs, another Labour MP, uh, you know, carried on with the same point and she mentioned sleaze and he, he, he repeated what she said. He was like, sleaze, what do you mean? Like he, he was offended. So uh, as I said, from week to week, I'm going to score them. Going to give, we're going to, we're going to develop a little, Card, scoring card so this week i'm going to give uh uh what a tick in the keith box i'm giving this week one nil to starmer um definitely starmer. giving him one nil and after that you know we had uh ian blackford the snp leader i mean you already know what i think about this guy he's just he, he, i know what i just he's said so funny he's no, so but funny he's, he's just so boorish <laughs> he's just so just just argumentative without That's any kind good. of no let me finish he's argumentative yeah he's supposed to be argumentative but argumentative without any substance you've got to be argumentative with substance and he's just there to just he just sounds like a moaner he's just moaning every time and also his dog was barking because he was on zoom dog was barking and uh, that just ended it really because nobody could concentrate what he was saying apart from his dog and instead of answering this question, Boris just said, I think your dog made more sense than you. So for that scorecard, I am giving Boris the win for that section. So this week, 1-0 in the Boris v. Keith to Keith. But uh, Boris v. Ian, giving it to Boris. It's interesting that you uh, enjoy Boris being boorish, but not Ian. But I'll leave that I wouldn't there. Call Boris that's Boris all. That's Boris. my only piece that I would say. I mean, he's very boorish. I wouldn't use that adjective, but okay. Mm, you're wrong. No, okay. So, following on from uh, PMQs, and you already brought it up, uh, Boris's personal texts have been leaked where he is getting personally lobby lobbied to his private phone by 
the billionaire Dyson asking for tax reliefs for his workers if they come over to Britain to make ventilators. And Boris responded, you know, yeah, we'll sort the tax issue, essentially. Um, no, 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 no. Announced that repeat it Re verbatim as he texted it. We'll fix Tomo, T-O-M-O. Boris said T-O-M-O. I just found that funny that he was using the text language. Anyway, continue, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, number 10 is said they're gonna be investigating the text leaks. I think it's one wild that Boris is allowing personal lobbying via his personal phone, but also that, you know, when he's getting it, he's not just sort of saying, oh, you know, thanks for getting back to, getting to me about this. Please, I'm forwarding your message to blah, 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 blah. He will continue liaison with you. It's very simple. Like, I mean, these men shouldn't have your personal um, number anyway, or if they should, they do, they shouldn't be using it for personal lobbying, but they shouldn't have your personal number, really. But apparently, um, Boris has been very liberal with giving out his number, and he's had the same number for over a decade. So it's easy to see how he, these people would have his number. Um, sources from number 10 have been saying that they think the leaking is coming from Cummings because he is bitter about leaving government. But there's no formal comment. But so, I guess for those of us who don't live in politics and who have lives, yes. unlike us, we should probably explain who Cummings is. I mean, there were, he was the star of the Brexit documentary. He's the the architect of the um, the Leave uh, campaign. The government, mm. no, the government's not the government wasn't campaigning for Leave. Sorry, but the Leave campaign, yeah. and then was also a personal uh, advisor for Boris. Up until, he he got, was, up until he got up until sacked he in got December. sacked mm -hmm. in December. Was it December? Yeah, until he got yeah, sacked. December, yeah. You know, he was uh, the one who was had to test his eyesight by driving <laughs> <laughs> when he was up in uh, Durham because doing an illegal journey during lockdown. So yeah, he's um he was the king of the castle, and now apparently people think he's been leaking Boris's texts, which would seem you know like something that he might do because he does have this reputation of a sort of you know a political and communications whiz and all of this sleaze leaking coming out is really um taking chinks out of the government's armor i'm loving it if he's doing it comments i hope you keep on doing it even though i'm not a personal fan yeah what do you think give us your uh oh actually sorry i thought it actually also say um the investigation into the leaks of the text is only into the leaks. It's not into the corruption. It's not into the issue with personal lobbying or anything like that. It's into who's um, leaking Boris's text when that is really not the main issue here at all. Yeah, I think the point you were, the point you made about <clears throat> Boris essentially should have just said, "Hi James, thanks for your message. I'm just going to forward this over to the business secretary or the permanent secretary at whatever, whatever." It's the same point we made with about last week with Rishi Sunak and David Cameron. Mm -hmm. When David Cameron texted Rishi Sunak, instead of saying, yeah, Dave, I'll, uh, I'll have a look into Greensill tomorrow. We were saying, no, why, why isn't the procedure? Hi, Dave, thanks for your message. If you can just forward this over to X official or whatever, whatever, that'd be great. So simple procedural behaviours. I mean, it's it so is simple. simple. It is simple, but I wonder if we take out too much of the personal like these are people who know each other like if yeah. I, if i like if i texted you in in your incapacity as where you work 
would you really turn around to me and said, hi, Corey, thanks for your text. Um, can you just send this to the whatever, whatever office person? Would we do that? Probably. I know it's not the same. <laughs> and this is the thing. I do want to yeah, give grace. Money, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know. Um, so in theory, yes, that should be the standard procedure. But I just think, okay, we've got to introduce the human element here. Would that actually go down in everyday life? And with the caveat that, yes, okay, this isn't exactly everyday life because it's government. But, but still, you have to account for that. Um, with regards to texting his phone, like yeah that's wild to me that the prime minister if i if i became prime minister tomorrow there's two things i'd do i'd shut mm-hmm. down every I'd, I'd close every single social media account i have or turn them yeah, all okay. to immediately l- l- blocking anybody from seeing anything so that's so yeah. you know really just delete all, innocuous, your, delete all your tweets yeah, yes innocuous tweet from five years ago the second thing i'd do mm-hmm. is change my number like um it's so wait 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 so wait nice if you became pm number, yeah so if you became PM, I uh-huh. wouldn't be able to text you anymore. I mean, because I'm personally offended by that. <laughs> I mean, you still ha- that number would be there, but it'd be a no. Thing you would where... have the number. You would have your purse. That would be your. But that would just be your personal number. I'm not using that be like, for, for, for official. For... Exactly, yeah. I'd be like, yo, and also you'd just be like, okay, well, if you're gonna text, like, if you want to text me about that, fine, text my other number because that's my work phone, and we're talking about work. Yeah, it's like we're not we're not talking about meeting for drinks later. Come on. Okay. No, I, I think it's um it's great that you made that point because I I do I have had work phones in the past yeah. and my own number and I've had people tech people who have wanted to engage people who I know who want to engage with me on from my business standpoint have mm-hmm. often texted me on my my phone and I'll be mm-hmm. like uh, yo just let I, I will then pick up the conversation on my, my work phone or vice versa. I mean a lot of the time yeah. that's just been because like. I don't want, I, I've always tried, I never want the expectation to be set that I'm going to respond to you at nine o'clock at night about something to do with business because now nah, that's our business Absolutely. hours. So, exactly. so yeah, I've been in a position before where I have done, I mean, yeah, not as prime minister, just as me running my business. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the same principle, just a different scale. Mm-hmm. However, oh, I yeah, think, go and make excuses for your mates. I think this whole Dyson business this week is much ado about nothing. I, I just don't yeah, think it's that deep. Really. I, yeah, it's I think just... the, the issue isn't that deep, but it's about the overall culture with regards to personal lobbying. And this on the back of David um, texting Rishi and this on the back of Matt Hancock giving a contract to anyone he's ever met who bought him a pint. Like <laughs> this following on from Dido Harding, following on from Cummings' sister getting the... T- like. All of it together. It's just everyone's now seeing the like. It's like the meme where everyone's like, "Oh wait, oh this thread connects to this thread connects to this thread." You lot stop giving your mate stuff without doing a little bit of minor due diligence. Like, come a little bit of going out to tender and then choosing your mate anyway. Like, please, there's not even the illusion of um, propriety. It's just all all sorts of checks and balances have just been thrown out of the window, and everyone's just doing what they want. It's carnage. Of course, you have to look at everything in context, and there is there seems to be mounting evidence of this context of a a specific culture within government, especially over the past year, where things have been done in a, at least in a seemingly underhand way. 
so whilst yes it's important to recognize context and if that context is if, if there's if there is a culture being birthed or not being birthed because this has always been there you know we had cash for questions in the 90s you know there's been scandals mm-hmm. going back forever but this recent episode yes it's important to to see if there is some something different right now in terms of the culture however you still need to be able to isolate incidents and and make a judgment as to whether they actually are part of some sort of culture of sleaze and whilst i think there is evidence that cronyism is rife um underhand tactics are rife is this particular story with james dyson texting boris saying hey i've got some workers coming in i've got some workers who work they're, they live in singapore we've got this massive crisis right now we can make some ventilators but to get these people into the uk to make the ventilators there might be some issues with their tax status just because they're going to be per- they're not coming here forever they're just going to be here and then chip back to singapore can you do something about it I don't think that's that's not in the same category as even Cameron um, texting Rishi Sunak asking, saying, mate, we need from, you know, so that I can have action. Well, he didn't say this, but, you know, the company that I, I have millions of pounds worth of shares in is about to go bust. We need some government help. Sort it out, please. It's not the same category. It's, it's just not, not in the same universe. But the issue is, is then, is the fact that he has the access to be able to do that rather than I him asking Boris that and then Boris saying, it should probably shouldn't be a problem. It's something that we should probably roll out um, countrywide, you know, mm. any emergency workers coming in to help out. I'm going to forward this on to somebody, somebody else whose job it is, etc. Simple. And that's case closed. That'll get done. But this is how we're going to do it. Rather yeah. than a specialised thing just for, you know, Mr. Dyson. Yeah. Simple. Simple. For our next story, we are staying in Parliament. On Monday, there was a debate which came about as a result of a petition which garnered almost 200,000 signatures on black maternal mortality rates in the UK. So MPs were discussing the the issue and and what can be done about it. And uh, questions were, or questions and speeches were mainly put to Nadine Doris, who is the Minister for Mental Health, Suicide Prevention and Patient Safety. I know you're going to uh, go into more detail on on what was discussed and and the reasons as why as to why it was discussed. But one thing I, I noted were of the fifteen speakers, approximately fifteen members of parliament spoke in this debate. They were all Labour, um, aside from one SNP, one Liberal Democrat, and the only Conservative uh, MP there was the actual Minister, whose portfolio this covers. So she would be there by definition. Um, I found that interesting, slightly worrying, that there wasn't more of a... I mean, granted, there are only 15 speakers there out of 650 MPs, but it was quite skewed in terms of party affiliation. Uh, so, yeah, maybe that's something you want to talk about. But, yeah, I'll, I'll let you uh, go ahead. Um, you know, it's uh, disappointing to say the least. I mean, because I would definitely think as well that this is something that is across party lines. I don't think it's a party political issue at all. Um, just some stats for you. Uh, black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth than um, white women. Asian women are two times more likely. And if you're from the most deprived areas in the city, you're three times more likely than women who are from um, more affluent areas. That's 34 black women per 100,000 people, 15 
Asian women per 100,000 people and eight white women per, per 100,000 people. Um, I think the reasons, a lot of um, people also gave some personal accounts. The reasons are multifaceted. It's um, obviously there is an issue with race and health and how race affects the healthcare that you're given. But also it's not just, you know, over um, aggressive sort of uh, racism or anything like that. It can be unconscious bias, it's structural and institutional racism, which, you know, we were told Maybe that's why the Conservatives weren't there, because it was pointed out that the issues are structural. And also there's a failure to um, have joint up care as well. So you'll have, you know, your field midwife, somebody seeing you outside, somebody who's seeing you in the doctors at the GP, and then somebody who's seeing you in the hospital. And so and these people are not communicating with each other. It's not feeling like you're able to advocate for yourself or when you do advocate for yourself, um, it's dismissed. The belief, you know, the, the belief that, quote unquote, that we're stronger. So when you're talking about an issue that you're facing, when you're saying that, you know, you feel something's wrong, when you verbalize continually that you feel that something's wrong and you're just dismissed or you're just told it's a side effect of pregnancy rather than looking if there's an underlying condition, it's also underlying conditions as a factor as well. You know, being more susceptible to underlying conditions, not understanding how pregnancy and sickle cell intersect or fibroids and sickle cell, um, sickle cell and pregnancy, which are things that, you know, we are more likely to be victims of. So all of these things together are culminating in one, us not being heard when we're um, verbalizing issues and also not getting the standard of care that we need. And it's no one saying that, you know, the NHS is not trying their best to give them the best level of care, but clearly there's some there's there's something missing here, because that number is too high, and there's um, a charity and a campaign called Five Times More that um, is to, works with local people and works with uh, the NHS and is um, lobbying MPs to try and highlight this issue, which has been really good in bringing about this petition as well. Um, yeah, so those are just me trying to get all those thoughts out about it. And also one of the main outcomes is that there's gonna be a government funded research unit into maternal and neonatal healthcare and a study into the risks to maternal health. Um, but also I just want to say that one of the, the most disappointing things was the acknowledgement that there is a disparity in outcomes and yet there, there hadn't been up until this um, government funded research unit, the NHS didn't have any plans on how they were going to tackle it. So they recognize the issue, but that's where it stops. So how are we gonna bring this number down? How are we gonna ensure that women are being heard and are being helped? Because why are we dying in childbirth? That's not supposed to be happening in a, a modern Western um, country. It's ridiculous. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, so, so they made, they they made a note of the fact that there are I think the, the the UK the UK mortality rates for for women in pregnancy or well pregnancy and then up to they count it as up to six weeks after preg after after giving birth and so they were making a note well government minister and some others making a note that you know it, it's one in ten thousand in comparison to other places in the in the world it's it's quite low but that figure of black women being four times as likely 
mm-hmm. is stuck. And yeah. the point you make about perhaps there being fewer conservative MPs there as a result of the recent report, I think is is an interesting one and one I hadn't thought about. You know, perhaps more would have been there if not for the recent sore well, the report on race and ethnic disparities. Because perhaps they think that this confirms what that report may have been trying to downplay, which is yeah. interesting. I've not thought about it like that. And I think it's perfectly feasible. You would hope not, but it's, mm-hmm. it's believable. So, but that speaks to something else with not just that report, but other similar schools of thought where, you know, folks will say things like, well, look at class, well, look at health, well, look at X, Y, Z, other um markers and it's 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 not that anybody's saying that yes uh, class isn't important geography isn't important uh, somebody's health isn't important but then they never want to then finish the thought with okay well why why is there such an intersection of race and class and health disparities so it's almost as if they want they want to always treat these things in isolation but not get together a joined up picture and then ask the fundamental question, okay, well, why are certain people in certain boxes? What's the reason? Because that was something exactly. else, as you mentioned, that there was in the in the in the debate. <clears throat> I can't remember which which speaker it was, but I was listening to one of the speakers make the point about health disparities, and they made it as well in the wider context of near misses, they called it. So whilst we've been speaking about women who die in childbirth or die up to six weeks after childbirth as a result of complications with pregnancy there's also a massive amount well proportionally to that number a lot there's also a lot more people which they identified as being the result of people who who near misses Mm -hmm. people who 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 almost died and nearly died almost died yeah so many and they you know the, the percentage of those that they said were preventable was also really it's frightening like there are a lot of those near misses they said they were preventable so so it's, it's an issue both for the people who are dying but also for for those those high numbers of people who almost die and looking at health disparities in terms of the underlying conditions as well which is what they mentioned um i think is really important because it again it's, it's prevention isn't it it's prevention for future future tragedy and, and averting future tragedy mm-hmm. She's one of well, sorry, just one one other thing. One I think I think it was actually Nadine Doris, the, the, the government minister, she made a point about you know, women who die in childbirth, because you know, by definition, they are younger women. So it's people who are dying earlier in life than they would mm-hmm. be expected to. Um, in addition to them being young, they've oftentimes they've got more than one ch- child or they've got a child already. Yeah. So they're not only leaving the child who they've just given birth to, but they're leaving other young children. You know, again, they may be, you know, they may be leaving a partner to deal with. It, it, there's so many other other things in this, as a, in addition to the basic tragedy of somebody died, which is obviously yeah. bad enough in and of itself. But there are so many other things to consider, um, which some of it was, I've not heard discussed in those kind of formats before. So I hope that they do lead to, not, Dory said that they, they've commissioned some, uh, unit at Oxford to look into it I hope it goes beyond just looking into it and there are yeah there are steps put in place 
to really bring these numbers down and bring the disparity down as well. Yeah, we want tangible change, really. Okay, so you are going to give us a little bit of a recap of Kemi's uh, speech to the House with regards to the Sewell report. How did she do? What did you think of her statement? <sighs> okay, um, yes, Kemi Badenoch, the Minister for Equalities, gave a, a statement this week in Parliament on Tuesday in response to the recent race and ethnic disparities report, which we discussed in episode three, I believe. So if you want a more detailed breakdown of that, go back to episode three and check that out. So she was giving a response, a statement for that. And then there were other questions uh, posed to her by, by MPs. I, I don't want to belabor this, partly because we've, we've gone into quite a lot of detail on this already. So please do check out episode yeah. three if you're interested. Um, and also because I'm just getting tired of the debate and I'm getting tired of Kemi Badenoch as well. Um, I just find her incredibly disingenuous. Oh, that's what I. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, just, just. I, I just find. I just, I just. Yes, yes. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I watched it this week, and I watched it partly because I have problems, um, and I watch things which I don't enjoy. Partly because I went. Obviously, I was researching for this for for, for our podcast today. It was just. It was just so so annoying. Like tweeting about live tweeting about it was my therapy. I was I was tweeting about it. Probably nobody was reading my yeah, tweets. I see you was, shouting into the ether. Oh, so you you saw it then? It was part therapy just because it was something to to get through it, because it was just so false, so fake. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think a, a clear example of of the whole debate was so you had Bell. I always forget how to say her last name. Is it Ribeiro Adi? Rib yeah, she's the MP for Streatham, Labour MP for Streatham, mm -hmm. and also back in the day when I was part of the NUS, um, she was the NUS Black Students Officer. Uh, that was in a previous life. Anyway, enough about my uni days. So yes, she, please. she prefaced her question with, "I." She made it abundantly clear because this is the refrain a lot. You know, you haven't read the report, or we're not talking. People keep reading reports of the report. So she prefaced, prefaced, prefaced her question with that she had read the report, she was not misrepresenting the report, she'd gone through it in its entirety and she was making her point based on what she'd read. And then she asked her question. Now, instead of answering the question or, okay, she's an MP, I'm not gonna ask, expect her to directly answer a question, but instead of even attempting a fake answer, instead of even obfuscating, she just said, well, if the honorable lady instead of reading The Guardian, read the report. And I nearly just threw my laptop away. I was like, she, she literally started her question with, I read the report. I'm not referring to reports of the report. And instead of even trying to answer the question, she simply said, dismissed her as, well, you just read yes, The Guardian. And that's her so line me, though, isn't but it? To me though, to me though, that again, this is, I, I, I say that just to go back to my first point, it just speaks to the, just the falseness of yeah, so absolutely. much of what I see from her and others like her in terms of responding you know nobody's asking nobody's asking I'm not expecting anybody on either side to change their mind but at the very least you expect people to engage with people honestly and she just doesn't do that or she wasn't doing that on Tuesday it was just so frustrating. But Comey Badnock does not I've found um that is actually a repeat behavior of her is not engaging honestly with what people are saying it's just so and I think you know it's like what she's what she said in 
in Parliament where she was talking about, you know, people calling us this and Uncle Toms and Coons and house, house Negroes and blah, blah, blah. Because she approaches any sort of um, interrogation of her ideas with regards to race and her criticisms with regards to race theory or race, race law or tackling inequalities, she approaches any sort of um, conversation about that from that from that from that standpoint. So she approaches it combatively and approaches it as if you're saying, calling her a name. Whereas realistically, you're trying to interrogate her ideas. Mm -hmm. This is Parliament interrogating each other's ideas. My job is to ask you questions to get you to flesh out your points, to get you to um, evidence your points, and to get you to back up the statements that you're making. But she doesn't. And that's one of my issues like, with she, she doesn't. She comes from a disingenuous, disingenuous um, standpoint of, you haven't read it, you don't understand what I'm talking about. You're, you're an eternal victim. And it's like, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying it there's, a, there's, it's a, there's a failure to bring fact one and fact two together to get to a conclusion. You've come, you've come with a conclusion and then you've used all these facts and the facts don't, don't, don't meet the conclusion at all, but you're just saying that anyway. But again, this is something that we've said already, so let's not rehash the point. I do definitely find it unnecessarily combative. combative. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, saying Specifically that... Specifically on issues of race. Yeah, saying that though, saying that, at the same time, I mean, I had to catch myself in this. I was thinking, oh, why is she being so defensive? Why is she being so this? And then I was like, well, wait a minute. If somebody was accusing me of these things, I would probably be defensive too. So I'm, I get, I'll give her, I, I would give her a, a slight pass on some of it. Um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I do feel she, she does go too far and it, and it, it then looks like it's just performance outrage. Um, yeah. it's hard sometimes to see past that. It is, but a lot of it is performance outrage. Like all that shouting about critical race theory that she did recently, that was performative outrage. What are you talking about? Why are you shouting? <laughs> Where has this come from? Why are you bringing it up? However, at the same, just one last thought on this, and this is again, you know, whilst I was writing my notes on this, I was thinking about this and I was like, well, wait a minute, I, let me, let me, I, well, I wasn't so much thinking about it from my perspective, but a lot of the time, and rightly so, let me just, again, preface, like Bell did this with it, me about to say, it's right, the outrage, which I'm about to describe is right, is correct, that there are, you know, black women often are, especially in public life, absolutely presented as angry or um, combative. And as I was, as I was sort of thinking and writing about her I was thinking okay she's been combative and I was thinking wait a minute not from my perspective because I think that she is being combative but I think that we have to give people the same leeway so yeah. it, because we got to think if she was on the other side people might say that I am I am I am buying into black tropes about black women Absolutely. and we have to we have to we have to, I have that, same that has thing. to be equal on both sides if you're going to say that you're buying into tropes on one side you've got to say it on the other side but from my perspective you've also got to be able to call out unnecessarily combative behavior when it actually is combative at, yeah when it actually is i think you have to be able to do both but i think we should you know, we have to be fair on both sides and that's, that's not an me just trying point. to do both sidesism for the sake of both sides <laughs> and i just want to chuck in real quickly because we didn't get to it um about the targeting of Runnymede. Um, mm. A bunch of conservative MPs have made a complaint to the Charities Commission because they say that Runnymede is being over, overtly political and getting too involved in political issues. First of all, racist politics. Well, and yes. second, racist yes. politics. Yes. And second yes. of all, yes. 
these guys are this group of MPs have also gone after um, Barnardo's and the National Trust when they when charities are talking about race issues or how the things that they deal with um, are affected by race because racism is structural. I think yeah. all this just goes to show. I think this is just further proof that regardless of how post-racial people want to presume our society is, whether you're Tony Sewell or whether you're Kahinde Andrews, you know, I just choose two extremes of different sides. It just shows that in this country, we are still not at a place where we can comfortably talk about race and racial mm -hmm. issues without people getting in their feelings. Because if we were truly post-racial, if we were truly comfortable talking about our national life, a group of MPs wouldn't be getting in their feelings about the Runnymede Trust or about the National Trust mentioning that a property was once linked to a slave owner. If we were truly comfortable, that wouldn't get people in their feelings. So it just shows that we are not, we're Absolutely. nowhere near that place. Nowhere near. For this week's Across the Pond, uh, we're actually not going across the pond, we're going down to Africa. It's the first week we've actually not done America slash Caribbean. Uh, this section is really about covering stories from the African and Caribbean diaspora and then also the states. So we're going to Africa this week, going to Chad. Chad's president this Tuesday was killed, reportedly uh, on the battlefield. That was how the military members who announced his death on Tuesday in Chad described it. Chad has been going through, uh, I guess you could call it civil war, uh, a lot of a lot of internal uh, fighting. I sh the reason I hesitate is because there's been fighting on different fronts over the past uh, few years in Chad. So you've had people coming down from Libya, militia groups coming down from Libya. Also, you've got people coming from Sudan to the east. And then also on top of that, the internal, uh, the internal fighting, which is what caused the death of Chad's president. So Chad's president, he had been in power for 30 years. He mounted a coup uh, 30 years ago and uh, had been just recently elected to his sixth term in office. That itself engendered a lot of protests in February. Uh, a lot of people in the country were not happy that he decided to run again for another term. Mm. Naturally, there's been a lot of uh, suspicion, especially in the West, that this uh, the election was, was rigged and not quite fair. So he's been taken over by his son, who is now taking, uh, leading a military council for the next 18 months is the plan. And then they said there will be free and fair elections. However, that runs contrary to Chad's constitution, which says that the National Assembly, I think, should ah. convene an election within, I think, 60 days or something. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, it looks like this turmoil is going to continue in Chad. Um, the, one of the interesting things about this story is how quote unquote dictators are treated in such varying ways uh, by other powers, specifically Western powers. Uh, you know, so for example, the, the, the now late president of Chad is described as a dictator. However, Emmanuel Macron, hey, they're boys, France Absolutely. and Chad, best buds. Now, you know, this, you know what? Let yeah. me not go all Thomas Sankara because uh, <laughs> I'm just talking about because Campoire, you know, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> so, that, yeah, the 
obviously def- the defense will be, you know, France is working with Chad against militant Islamic extremists in Africa and in that part of Africa, mm-hmm. you know, it's terrorism and, and, you know, Chad themselves have sent, I think they've got like 1500 soldiers as part of some larger France, France French operation in Burkina Faso. Um, so that would be the response, you know, if anybody's listening to this, who is, uh, you know, who, who's like, you know, pro Macron would be saying, oh, well, they're there to help with terrorism. Okay. I just find it interesting that, you know, dictators are treated very differently depending on their, I guess, their benefit? strategic relevance, yeah, of course. you know, yeah. and I, I just think I just, it, it's just, it just shows that, I mean, and to be honest, like I said, there probably sometimes are good reasons, you know, for that it's just the, the lack of honesty, the lack of transparency that's often put forward in the media. You know, it's never, these conversations about dictators are never pitched in geopolitical terms. They're always just pitched as if it's just simple black and white, all dictators are bad. But then when you scratch between, scratch beneath the surface and you're like, well, what about this dictator you work with? You know, we can go back in time. We can look at Margaret Thatcher and Pinochet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just, I would long for, as I'm sure we all do, a more honest reporting on such matters but i probably hope in vain so yeah uh hopeful hopefully chad doesn't descend into more chaos but at the minute that looks like the trajectory that they're on so i'm doing thought of the week and my thought today is um for george floyd rest in peace we got the outcome of the derek chauvin trial and he has been found guilty on three counts, um, which is good news. And it's, you know, good, to be honest. Yeah, good. Um, There are lots more police officers that also should be in jail that are not. It's a step in the right direction, but it's one of the the many um, that need to be prosecuted I think what's going to be most important is going forward, is, this going, is there going to be a sea change or is there not? I want to be optimistic. I don't know if I am. Um, if this wasn't caught on camera, would we be here? Because looking at the, uh, the initial report that the police put out, the statement to the press was completely contradictory to the events that took place. So we have to remember also watching these videos, constantly seeing murder, Um, played out for us online and on television it's not healthy so I think it's okay to decide not to watch these videos I think as well a lot of the press is not taking responsibility for consistently showing these things on tv and screening them into our homes and into our consciousness it's very dangerous to be taking on all these images all the time it's not good for our psyche so I do think you can stay abreast of the situation you can provide solidarity and support and be remain informed without taking this imagery all the time, protecting protecting ourselves and our mental health. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.